Welcome to A Christian and a Buddhist Walk Into a Bar. My name is Jamal and I am a Buddhist. I'm Jacob and I am a Christian. Wonderful to be with you this morning. Jamal, how are things traveling for you? Uh, things are okay, yes. Um, I am doing doing fine. I am well into my day, uh, which is good and um, more energetic than I was last week, <laughs> uh, which is a, it's a fun place to be. Um, now... We this is our first uh, second parter of a of a larger conversation we're having. Um, so we should, pro- should probably introduce our third member of this podcast, Brent Nombri, who is a bald white dude. Um, <laughs> not with us in person. Not, he not comes us to in us in academic book format this week. <laughs> yes, correct. So um, for those of you that tuned in last week, um, we were discussing. Nongri's uh, question of what is a religion. Now, if you haven't heard last week's episode, uh, maybe do go back and listen to it, although we do endeavour to try and uh, make anything accessible uh, for a first time. Um, So if if this is your first time, welcome. Um, So we discussed last week, Jacob, uh, Nongri's idea of what is a religion, and I think um, I certainly had uh, a particular focus and wanted to kind of hone in on Nongri's definition of uh, religion as anything that uh, reasonably represents Protestant Christianity, and yeah. um, we, we, if I recall correctly, you kind of you you found it useful, but you didn't like it. Yes, I I, I think um, I found it useful as a descriptive historical kind of uh, look at what religion or what the term religion has meant in the world, and particularly in the Western world, um, and I. I think Nongbri has some really interesting uh, points around uh, the kind of colonization aspect of that and the um, the kind of the Western-centric side of that. But I didn't love it uh, as a sense of a descriptive kind of thing about, well, how should we define religion? And, and in a kind of more modern parlance, uh, if we are at least um, attempting to uh, enter into a post-colonial world, how do we um, how, how do we actually use that term to talk about um, you know to talk about what religions mean these days and 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 how they intersect with various representations that maybe don't look like Protestant Christianity? Um, so broadly speaking, we're going to kind of keep discussing that, and we're going to discuss this idea of the intersection between religion and culture. But actually, before we recorded you. You, you read out another piece of the Nongbri uh, book that was later mm. on when you talk, spoke about kind of language and the um the 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 word for religion in in his native in his, yeah, I think his, his native father's language. native language yes so, I, I, yeah. can you can you share that with us well you've you've thrown to me when I don't have the book chapter in front of me give me two seconds I, yes the, I, the internet to work its magic because <laughs> um, because this is like this is really this is Nongbri's beef mm. with the word religion, which I, I know you kind of disagree with, Jamal. That's, that was the basis of last week's mm. um, conversation in, in a lot of ways. Um, so in the introduction to his book, um, Nongbri describes how his father grew up in the Khasi Hills of northeast India um, and the Khasi language is spoken by about a million people today. Uh, and when he was just starting off his journey of studying religion, he realised he had no idea what the Khasi word for relig- religion was. Um, he couldn't find it in the, the little Khasi English dictionary he had, so he asked his dad. Um, and his dad said that the, the term is Ka Niam, um, 
and then he got curious about this and found out that it could also simply mean customs, so not necessarily anything particularly religious. Um, but then he goes, he discovers further that the word niyam is not an indigenous Khasi term at all. It's a loan word from Bengali where it means rules or duties. Um, and so he discovered there that his father's language had no native word for religion and the word that they were using, well, is it... Is it religion? Is it rules, duties, customs? Yeah. What exactly is going on here? Yeah, I, th- I think that brings us to this interesting question about culture, right? Because I think um, uh, I think religion uh, has traditionally, at least in the few in the last few hundred years, with this kind of Western centric view, has very much uh, tried to kind of be almost a purely spiritual thing. You mm-hmm. know that, that it's it's about God or it is about uh, the the spiritual supernatural um, you know understanding of the universe, which I think is definitely a part of it. I I, I don't think AFL football is a religion, even though <laughs> a lot of people treat it religiously, because you know there is no unifying uh, theory of the universe uh, that AFL football presents yeah. you. Um, Although it, 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 we'll come back to this, but it's almost a, a Western secular postmodern religion in a in a sense because i i would suggest that part of the western postmodern culture is that there is no unifying yes, view of the world so a- anyway yes i'm jumping way ahead of where we <laughs> may not even go in this conversation but yeah so i'm um, so I, th- I think there's that concept of it, it being predominantly spiritual is there but i i guess for me i really see religion as um certainly with a necessary spiritual aspect to it but also with a necessary cultural aspect to it and with a necessary um, connection to community and culture and to these kinds of things. And I and and maybe this is getting at the crux of what I think is missing from Nombre's interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. That um that, you know, that uh, that that even in a scenario where religion is described as, you know, well, does it look like Protestant Protestant Christianity or not? Um I, I think what what a lot of religions uh, even by that definition, have that I think Nombri doesn't speak to here is, well, what are the cultural practices to do that? Because, mm. you know, realistically, a, a lot of uh, non-Western religions look nothing like Protestant Christianity when it comes to cultural practices. And, and this is actually uh, comes to a big crisis, is probably not too strong a word, in the contemporary Western church because uh, over the last 100, 150 years, at least some people will argue, that the cultural practices that sustained Christianity as a faith for many people have been massively eroded in a whole bunch of ways. Like, you know, simply to look at the fact that it's not usual anymore to go to church on a Sunday morning, like the Mm -hmm. church is not the most important building in the village and all the rest of it, which for, for centuries, at least, again, on some readings... That, that was the case. And so those, those reinforcing cultural aspects that interact with the faith aspect aren't there in the same way in contemporary Western culture, which then makes the faith aspect a whole lot harder for those of us who are still Christian in that culture. Yeah, and, and so I'm interested to hear your thoughts on this because I think this is quite a Christian invention, but um, or maybe at least quite a Judeo-Christian invention. But... um. So there's a book I'm reading, which I'll, I'll try and find a right chapter to bring to a whole other conversation. Yeah, on. awesome. Um, but the, it's discussed in there, and I, I think it's an interesting thought here, that 
to me at least, um, one of the problems that Christianity might be having with those cultural practices is that traditionally, um, my, my, my understanding of Christianity is that it does try and create a firm distinction between nature and uh, the spirit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, um, that, that, you know, the, the church being the house of God is somewhat separate and different to all other things in the world. Um, and that, you know, it is, uh, it is, for example, a house. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not in a field or in a grove somewhere, right? Um, and it's a, um, you know, it's very much a kind of valorized and, um, you know, revered thing partially due to its uh, opposition to and kind of difference to nature. And I'm and I, and I, I thinking in context of things like Taoism, right, where, you know, the core tenets of the Tao Te Ching talk about the 10,000 things. You know, mm-hmm. the Tao is not one particular being or place. It is the 10,000 things in the world that are everything and present in everything. And it's very much... Uh, it's not quite animistic, but it is very much, you know, the Tao is in everything as opposed to God being kind of somewhat separate. And obviously, I, I, I think, you know, I, I'm certainly not trying to claim that Christianity is a non-natural, naturalistic religion or doesn't respect nature, but I think that there's, there's a functional cultural aspect here where it has been split and separated and attempted to be quite... Um, yeah, quite different or oppositional to nature. I think the the term that is helpful to use there is that Christianity, um, probably Judaism to, to a large extent as well, I can't speak for Islam, but the, the Christianity demythologizes nature. Mm. Um, so it, it's not so much that Christianity is opposed to nature, like... Uh, in, in fact, quite the opposite. Like any fair account of the, the creation narratives um, in Genesis, which is Christian, Jewish, Islam would all agree on this, that, that God creates the world and the world is good, but the world is not God. Mm. Um, and that's a really important distinction that it's being, that, that it's wanting to make. So sometimes that comes across... Um, almost too too strongly at certain times and places is a, a really big push against any sort of kind of a natural religion in inverted commas because the world is not God. Um, and so that, that can be seen as, well, the world is bad, right? And there's this dualistic material spiritual dynamic and the spiritual is good and the material is, is bad and whatever. Um, but where that's coming from is um, a, an opposition to anything that starts to worship cre- created things rather than the creator is the easy way to put it. Um, so that, that, that doesn't necessarily lead to like church buildings being a house, um, as, as it were. Like there, there's a lot of conversation, certainly in contemporary Christianity, that the church is the people rather than any particular building or any place mm-hmm. because... Um, there's actually an aspect to it to which Christians um, have got too attached to church buildings that somehow God is especially there, which runs into the same 
problem of, of venerating one part of creation rather than the creator. Um, and so that that's why there's a seen to be a danger in like, you know, worshipping in a, a grove or something like that because you start to view that as a particularly um, special or sacred place. And th- what this demythologizing is doing is doing two things. Uh, it's it's saying that there there aren't you know th- there isn't a spirit in that tree or in that river or in that. And if you look at like the ancient Greek world um, that Christianity sort of grew up in, it was really important to say that because well you had to make sacrifices to appease this spirit before you cross the river or or whatever in the, the ancient Near East. I shouldn't just say ancient Greek there. Um, and, and so it says that, well, there's, there's not these little spirits living in, in every part of natural creation. But it also says at the same time that all of creation is good and God cares about all of creation. So it's both non... In, in saying, well, this is not sacred, you also say the whole thing is sacred and there's not particular elements of it that's sacred. Does that make sense? It does, and it takes me to this interesting question around culture and um, stuff because I think, at least in a Western culture, that to me aligns very strongly with um, the the advent and the kind of the rise of capitalism and of materialism and this idea that that nature is not something that you have a... uh, It's it's not something that you have a kind of... um, an equal relationship, but you, you know, so that, that yeah, so, so yeah, your example of, oh, you need to sacrifice a certain thing to cross a stream. You know, I think from a, from a cultural and kind of, um, uh, a kind of, of more, a more kind of traditional practice. Yeah. You know, if you look at the function of that, the function of that is to try and moderate human behavior so as not to overuse and overtax environmental resources. Right. Like I, I think to say that you need to, you know, I'm not saying sacrificing a bull to get across the stream is specifically that, but the concept of going human beings need to give something up in order to take something from nature, right? I think well, you look see, at a lot of... I wonder if that's a bit of a, a modernist construction on it, right? Because part of the, the way that we, we relate to the world now in a way that a whole bunch of people for a whole bunch of history haven't is that the the world is not particularly scary to us most of the time. Now there's then bushfires and floods and pandemics and, and all of that stuff. But um, most of the time we, we seem to have the illusion that we have tamed the world in some way. Um, and so that we're not, we're not constantly threatened by it in a whole bunch of ways. And so we don't need to then appease the spirits or however we understand the world is is working against us. So but I think this is a chicken and egg scenario, right? Because sure. I agree with that. I agree that we have that concept that we've tamed the world, but ha- have we developed that concept purely from this sense that we no longer need to feel like we are part of the world, right? This mm. idea that the world is a thing that can be tamed is a really, really modern Western cultural phenomenon, right? I mean, totally. you know, to, to use an extreme... I'm not saying it's necessarily... A right or good mm. phenomenon, just to be clear yeah. on that, yeah. But let's use an Australian example, right? The um, traditional First Nations religions and cultures often have inherently built-in limits to, uh, you know, the hunting certain animals, right? Like, you know, um, 
I, I, yeah, I, I don't want to. I don't know everything about all First Nations sure. religions, but at least in some of the th- some of the groups that I've studied, there are things that are, you know, you are given a certain place in the natural order of things as a human being. You have a uh, a, a place in society which is also associated with certain um, uh, moieties and totems and, and and particular animals in society, and you know that can form as a natural barrier where you're saying, okay, cool, I am of this particular place in society, which means I can't hunt emus, which means that emus are not just hunted by everyone, that a certain population of society are not allowed to hunt emus and must protect emus. And so there's there are, there are natural limits and natural ecological breaks uh, there to limit and ensure that humans uh, live in harmony with the ecology rather than just kind of being able to tame nature and being able to control mm-hmm. and do that, which, and, you know, and again, this goes back to that question of like, you know, do the, do the core tenets on the kind of the root causes of modern capitalism and modern kind of, um, you know, human dominion kind of theory, do they arise from something like Christianity or is Christianity reflecting those trends that are beginning to exist in the society in which it develops, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting question. Um, so to what extent does society shape religious beliefs? Is that where well, you're well, going well, with this? Well, yes. Yeah. Like, so to what extent does society shape religious belief and to what extent does religion shape societal beliefs? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't know, do you, do you have a sense of which came first in the Christian capitalist concept? I... Certainly the argument I'm most sympathetic to is that modern capitalism as as we understand it is only comprehensible within a Christian framework. Mm. Like it it, it arises out of a Christian worldview, culture, society, whatever, however you want to parse it, in a way that it, it wouldn't... It could conceivably arise out of some other society societal structure but there's also a whole bunch of societal structures that it's really difficult to see modern capitalism arising out of like mm-hmm. any any strongly collectivist culture i think is going to struggle to develop capitalism in the way that we understand it on its own now i would i would say that um cap, mod, you know modern late modern capitalism is not necessarily christian like mm. i would i would want to stress that like that if, if anything it's almost a, a a heretical cultural form of christianity that loses touch with a, a whole bunch of core tenets around what it means to be human and um it takes the dominion aspect whilst losing any sense of responsibility um, and that, that's a big critique of it, but that that's within the Christian framework, yes. I, I wanted to jump in just my favourite little, like, question. I think I've asked I you this. I thought it was going to be the joke. Oh, no, that was right. <laughs> um, I think I have asked you this um, previously, but I, I find it really interesting to talk about. Um, I have heard from some scholars that the the sentence of, you know, God created man and gave him dominion over the world has a very critical mistranslation in it. Mm-hmm. And that the word dominion should be translated as stewardship mm-hmm. uh, from the original Hebrew. Um, I mean, and 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 if you do translate dominion as stewardship instead of dominion, it completely changes the whole history of the West. 
uh, and like and our relationship to nature. And you know, if we have this idea that it's not about us being given free reign to do whatever the hell we want with nature, but it's actually about us having a responsibility to look after nature, suddenly it changes everything. But I mean, what do you think about that kind of that that position of like it's actually a translation issue and maybe a deliberate political translation issue that's led to a lot of this. Absolutely. I wouldn't want to go so far as to say it's a deliberate political translation issue, although those do exist from time to time. Um, I'm I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and you've so, I'll, but my understanding is that yeah, that that's fair. The word that's translated dominion um, is something like rule, um, and the concept of that. Um, in Hebrew Israelite culture of the time, like it's connected with um, what a king does. Mm. And and this comes back to kind of things being culturally shaped, like the word religion that we were mm. discussing last week, because the way that the biblical narrative presents the idea of rule is that human rule is supposed to reflect God's rule um, over creation, which is a, yeah, you're right, a stewardship rather than a, rather than like a, well, I can do whatever the hell I want or a, a heavy-handed kind of making things happen. It's a it's a caring for because that, that's how God cares for creation and that's actually how Israel's kings are supposed to rule. They're supposed to be stewards, not absolute monarchs. Um, and perhaps there's a, a way in which in the modern West we look at absolute monarchy um, as it existed kind of in pre-revolutionary France and, and all the rest of it which, yeah, we, we look at that and we project that back onto this word of you know, rule, dominion, mm. and we say, well, that's what it's supposed to be, and then we get the wrong idea. Yeah. Just while we're on that thing as we're in the creative mm. creation narrative and these, um, these issues of translations and words, um, when Adam and Eve are created um, and God says it's not good for the man to be alone and so he makes a, a partner for him, it's literally a helper. Mm. Um, and the only other times in the Old Testament that that word helper is used to describe someone, it's used to describe God and mm. God's relationship to Israel, that God is Israel's helper, right? Mm. Like in the sense that he's also their, their rescuer and their savior and their, their whatever. Um, and so again, we sometimes people bring their modern um, mindsets to this creation story and go, ah, the woman is supposed to be the helper and so therefore the man is the head yeah, and the woman yeah, can yeah. only help and yada, yada, yada. And then you look at the rest of it and go, well, Actually, the woman is called to do for the man what God does for his people, and like, so that completely messes with the, well, what's the whole man woman yeah, thing yeah. going on? Anyway. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I think this, I, I think the capitalism what argument is an interesting take, just because it is, obviously it comes from what we're familiar with. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm interested in your thoughts on, you know, I, so I, I absolutely love your point that um, capitalism is only functional and understandable in a Christian context, right? Or the, at least coming from a Christian context. Sure. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I guess, like, I find it interesting, again, we go back to colonization and the intersection here where, you know, Nongri talks about, you know, whether things looked like Protestant Christianity or not kind of defines whether the West saw it as a religion or not. And, you know, the intersection of not only that but also Christianity being used as a justification for colonization and for a colonization that was inherently political and capitalist. Mm -hmm. That, you know, uh, at least in, you know, certain places, it was literally 
companies going to countries and you know using them as resource sinks to uh, extract and make profit right um and it's this idea that like you know that was somehow justified through oh well we're converting people to to the right religion or whatever else and obviously religion has always been used in that sense but like that real messy intersection with culture and with like cultural hegemony and dominance and all these things and there's not really a question there, but just like, you know, I, I don't know well, your, your thoughts on, on that kind of the, the messiness of that. Well, yeah. And it, and it is messy and that's probably the most important thing to say. Um, because my, my sense is that it's not primarily the church that is doing this, although the church often does you know, kind of participate in things like we could talk about the the existence of missions on the east coast of Australia mm. and and all the the horrible stuff associated with that. But we also see the the people who are pushing back against the erosion and the destruction of native cultures in Australia, in South America, in a whole bunch of places are Christian missionaries. Um, and there, there's a Ghanaian missiologist whose name escapes me right now, who uh, a Christian guy, um, who credits the Christian missionaries with preserving the language and culture of the First Nations people, you know, the, the people who were there at, during the time of white colonisation um, because they, they thought it was valuable and they, they thought that people had inherent values so that there's i don't know there's there's some extent to which that might be the justification coming from the state or coming from companies and at times coming from the church that wants to insert itself into this and have an important role to play um but there's also pushback well and that's super interesting because i think my traditional concept of missionaries and and my understanding of it is that they were very much uh, associated with enforced cultural decline, right? So, right. like, that, you know, when you convert a native population, part of what you're doing is converting them to Christianity, but, like, it's not cool to just let native peoples be Christian and pray to Jesus instead of their traditional uh, gods uh, and do it in the same way. You had to bring them into the church. They had to attend services. They had to, like, live in a certain way and dress a certain way. And, like, it was very associated with cultural dominance as you know that the way to be a christian was only conceived of as essentially the way to be a westerner yes um and it was about making people more western not just because i I think there is an argument to say well really if all you wanted to do was convert people to jesus just let them like do what you did with the pagans in europe let them do what they did normally and just have jesus there instead of someone else like why do you why the need to change cultural practice yeah, well, and that that brings us to a, a, just a, a fascinating way of looking at it because that doesn't like it, it doesn't always happen that it requires the, the change of cultural practice and certainly for you know nineteenth early twentieth century Europeans they struggle to understand how you could be Christian without having a Western Christendom church centered mm. clergy centered construct. Um, but just to, to give a couple of examples of how it plays out in different times in different places. So um, in Mexico and Latin America, I, I don't know all that much about it, but my understanding is that 
Catholicism in Latin America is way, way different to Catholicism in um, Eastern Europe and the Mediterranean Basin and all the rest of it, even, even though it was you know Spanish and Portuguese missionaries who, who first brought Catholicism there because of the way that it's merged and connected with um, the religious and cultural practices that were already present there. Um, and Catholicism seems to do this in a, in a particularly interesting way because it um, they, they have these concepts of saints and all the rest of it, which Protestantism doesn't have. I, I would say having been through South America and having yeah. seen the um, – there, there's a specific word for it that escapes me at the moment, but there's a specific word for South American Catholicism that yep. is exactly that, that mix. Um, there are things like I would say Mary is bigger than Jesus. Yep. Right? Like, so, you know, Mary is a much more important figure in South America than uh, – certainly than anywhere else. Um, and – yeah, potentially on par with or more important than Jesus. Um, and yeah. and some people look at that and go, well, is that really Christianity yeah, and have yeah. a problem with it? I'm not qualified to comment on that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah or, or other things like... Um, Syncretism, that's, a, that's yes. a, the word. The, yeah, yeah, like other things like mirrors, um, are traditionally in South America, you know, windows to the soul, whereas in Europe they're objects of vanity. So, you know, you know, churches are filled with mirrors yeah, right. in South America and those kinds of stuff, right? So, yes, I, I agree that there that, that does happen and that does have this intersection thing, which, again, I think goes to our kind of broader point of, yeah, like, and, and, and again, this to me is, I guess, the core thing that I kind of struggle with Nongri is, is that, to me, religion is cultural, right? There, there, there is no religion without culture and there is no, um, you know, there is no accurate way to talk about religion without also describing the specific culture which is you know I, I guess why I kind of look at some of the kind of you know the, the standard trope that most of modern western psychology is really just Buddhism uh, but Buddhism <laughs> but it's Buddhism stripped of the culture right it, yeah. it, 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 it's the it's the teachings of the practice stripped of the spirituality and stripped of the culture which I think is fine and useful but also I think really misses out on a lot of things that are that become really important for context and, and and maybe that's my point that i'm getting at here maybe that i that i think that in order to properly understand the spiritual and uh metaphysical side of religion you actually need the culture and the context and all those other things yep. in order to really have that connection and that sense of of the divine and, and it's that grid of meaning right like that it as as much as we might not like to admit it we're not simply autonomous rational beings floating around like we're we're impacted by our environment and our relationships and they can reinforce or undermine different aspects of our culture which is actually part of what um, some first nations people are, are really leaning into now um, and they'll they'll lean into indigenous culture because that's a way of reclaiming some self-understanding and not being told this is who you are. And that happens amongst Christians. Like there, there's, um, there's Aboriginal Christian people who are really leaning into and, and wrestling with their spirituality and how, how can I be true to my um, Aboriginal culture and ancestry and everything else and also be Christian. It's a really interesting conversation and it's one that as a white person, it's like, well, we don't get a say on like that's a yeah yeah and and I, and I think you know if we if we try and kind of summarize this right like I think 
Nongbri's kind of definitional thing about going, well, a religion is anything that just looks close enough to Protestant Christianity, I think ignores the cultural influence of non-Western cultures, right? Like, I, I think you can say from a spiritual aspect, okay, religion is anything that has some kind of deity or some kind of whatever else, and, like, you, know, you can make those connections, but I think what he's missing is that Protestant Christianity is so inherently a Western cultural product yeah. that... Um, and particularly Protestant Christianity as well, right? <laughs> like, you know, we're going in that rabbit hole. But, um, but like, that is such an inherently Western cultural product that to define religion by that, um, I think really doesn't give credence to religions that make perfect sense and can be completely understood from a non-Western cultural standpoint. And even his point around language and, like, the words for it, I mean, yeah, I, th- I think... I don't know, I, I, I'm not an etymologist, but I would argue that the word religion probably isn't a native word and is borrowed from the Latin and the and the, and, and the, and the Germanic and whatever else well, and that's, like, has roots that mean something else. Like This is how language works, right? Yeah. We, people borrow words and mesh them together and give them new meaning. That's that's just language. Yeah, no, and that's that's fascinating. Like, I, w- I wasn't going to go there, but I will briefly because I think the word religion usually goes back to Cicero and, and a few contemporaries of him. Um, and and it, it has this sense of, as you're saying, practices mm. and, and cultures in it. But... Um, where it becomes predominantly used in Western Europe, in um, particularly the, the the Latin Church, sorry, the Catholic Church, who speak Latin, um, is as a word for all of these different aspects of Christianity. So a religion is like a Dominican or a Benedictine or a, like all of these different monastical orders and, yeah. and everything else. They're religions. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity has all these religions inside it, which is just a fascinating whole mm-hmm. different can of worms. Yes. Um, a question I'm really interested in, which we, we don't have time for now, so maybe this is just foreshadowing a part yeah. three um, or, or a future podcast, is given that cultural aspect to religion um, and the the reinforcing of of practices community and beliefs is modern western society um, and our structures is that actually inherently hostile to religion and in, in a mm. world of and a culture of you know fairly radical individualism um does that work against all of these things that reinforce religious belief and what does that mean? So that's maybe a, an extension of this conversation. Yeah, that, that, that's a good question and um, mm-hmm. I, I will maybe not open that can of worms right now, but yes, it's a very good question. Um, now, Jacob, I, I, I have a joke for you. Brilliant. Um, and, and, and actually, I, I could have brought this one earlier in when we were talking about... Um, the differences between certain religions, but um, but anyway, it's, it's here now. Uh, but it's, it's thematic. So um, so a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar, and um, and 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 the Buddhist goes up to a group that's already there, and and the group there is a bunch of different people, and 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 the, amongst them is like a, is a Hindu, and the mm-hmm. Christian's like, oh, like what's going on? Like, yeah, you're you're part of this group, and the Buddhist goes, yeah, I um, uh, I was actually recently on a plane, and uh, and and a friend of ours died, 
uh, and it was me and, and this Hindu this Hindu here, and we were both on a plane, uh, and we, we were saved. And the Christian's like, oh, like, what happened? Like, how were you saved? And like, what happened to your friend? And the Buddhist goes, well, you know, uh, the plane was about to crash, and I, I prayed to the Buddha, and and I was saved, and that was, that was really great. And and the Hindu speaks up, and she goes, yeah, yeah, the plane was about to crash, and I and I, and I played, I, I I prayed to to Krishna and Vishnu, and and I was saved, right? And then the Christian's like, well, like, what happened to your friend? And and they go, well, a friend was a Taoist. So, the, you know, she, she tried to pray to 10,000 things and just didn't get through them all in time, so, so it wasn't saved. Nice. Yeah, there you go. Um, so, uh, yeah, look, I, I think this has been a really interesting conversation. Um, as always, I, I kind of finish these wanting to just talk for another, like, yeah. 50 minutes. But, you know, this is why we have multiple podcasts. This is why we do this every week. Um, if you would like to uh, become part of the conversation, contribute uh, any thoughts, uh, questions, or anything like that, please email us at christianbuddhistbar at gmail.com. Absolutely. Our music is by Kevin McLeod. We've been discussing vaguely a book called Before Religion by Brent Nongbri. That'll be in the, the show notes and whatever. Yeah, and thank you for being with us again. Uh, we will see you next week, or you'll, you'll, you'll hear us next week if you if you deign us with your presence. Um, my name has been Jamal, and this has been uh, a Christian and a Buddhist walk into a bar with me and, and my good friend Jacob. We'll see you next time. Bye.